We're going to look in Galatians chapter 6 tonight. Galatians chapter 6 in your Bibles. Love that walks softly. And uh, Galatians chapter 6. We'll look at the first uh, five verses here in the book of Galatians this evening. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And the Bible reads, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let's pray, and then we'll look further at this this evening. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for your grace, and Father, I need your help as I bring your precious and holy word before uh, your people. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words exactly as I ought to speak, uh, Father, to encourage, to nurture, and uh, Lord, we just yield the day to thee. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring. And Father, you take over. Lord, you correct and direct my thoughts, Lord, to speak exactly as I ought. These are your people that you love, and you have a message. And so, Lord, I pray I'd be truthful to that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Under, underlies two essentials tonight that we dealt with. First of all, there must be death to the flesh. Uh, they that are the Christ have crucified the flesh with the, elect, with the affections and lusts. And uh, the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit is along different lines altogether. And uh, in this idea, verse 24 of Galatians 5, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We're all in for Jesus. Now, the law of the love of Christ, there's first of all, we find here, brethren, if a man be overtaken to fault, there is a sympathetic uh, and the love that woos sympathetically. Someone messes up. And we're not going to come down harsh when someone messes up. And then we find the second illustration has to do with being a burden bearer. And, uh, the, you know, the, really the law of Christ is the all-encompassing act of love. A law of love. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. About bearing the burden. Sometimes there are things in our lives, and I've had individuals that, you know, and, and even in my own personal life, you know, I've messed up and done dumb things. And I'd come to a friend and I said, well, uh, you know, I didn't do the best as I should have. You know, and, and I was thankful. I knew these particular individuals with whom I had confided. They weren't going to jump all over me. I was already under the guilt of my foolishness. And uh, God, you know, I'm thankful, sent me these individuals with whom I could just pray. Encourage me. One of the things that happened, though, is that the Judaizers of the Apostle Paul's day here to the church of Galatia, they're trying to heap all these burdens. You mess up. You you fail to do something that you would, and these Judaizers and religious people are like, well, you messed up, so now you're done. You're shunned. You're out of here. Or they're going to put a whole bunch of burdens on you, make you feel like trash, and you're like, how do I ever get out of this? It would be no different than, I remember one individual who was a Muslim. He said, well, I, I went off for a while, and I didn't do my five times a day prayer. He said, after so many times of missing, there's so many so many." Uh, in order to make up for it, you have to do more. He said, by the time I could actually make up for what I had done, it was over 400 years. He said, I just gave up. I could never, I could never do enough prayers in my lifetime. 
for the, to atone for what I had missed within the religion of Islam. And that is a heavy, heavy burden. But the Bible tells us here, bear you one another's burdens. And so God, you know, and, and they bind heavy burdens. Look with me at Matthew 23, 4. Religion puts heavy burdens on us. But Jesus wants to relieve those burdens. He wants to lift the burdens. We all have times in our lives where we mess up. And when we confess, as 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not about throwing down the hatchet as it is saying, hey, I want to relieve the burdens. Bear you one another's burdens, right? So when you're going through life, and, or maybe you're just, maybe it's not something you've done wrong, but maybe you're just going through a tough time. It is, God has given within the confines of a local New Testament church to the ability to help encourage, if you're under great pressure, to say, hey, I need some help. Would you pray with me? I'm, I'm burdened down, I'm weighed down by life, and I don't know where to go from here. You have someone with, you know, and, and, and they're in the church, an opportunity to talk and say, hey, would you be with me? Matthew 23, 4, talking about the religious leaders, about the scribes and Pharisees, it says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Well, they believe because they're a religious ruler that somehow they are aloof or somehow they're exempted from the same burdens they're putting on others. And in Acts 15.10, really at the Jerusalem conference, kind of convened, the apostle Paul, Peter, excuse me, would say to his fellow Jewish Christians concerning Gentile believers, he says, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So again, the same idea of what's going on here in Galatia, in the church of Galatia, they are trying to put on, to the believer, on the believers who are Gentiles saying, hey, you've got to follow Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Jewish traditions, all the Jewish holidays and feasts and so on and so forth. And if you're really saved, you'll do all of this. Well, now you're making it a condition of salvation and you're adding to what Jesus has done and now the merits of salvation are no longer in Christ, they're on what you've done. And you know what? That gets very heavy. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and deliver us from its burden. None of us can be perfect. The fact is of the law, what happens with the law is you can be perfect your entire life, but what the law requires is you don't mess up one time. Well, in your entire life, you might be perfect for a lot of it, but you're going to mess up somewhere. It requires one mess up. Don't mess up one time. That's a heavy burden. You can't bear that. So the Apostle Paul here in Galatia is dealing with his legalistic burdens on each other and trying to bear the heavy burdens of brothers and sisters in Christ. Believers that are struggling some carry heavy financial burdens, physical infirmities. Others are burdened with wayward loved ones. Some carry a heavy load of guilt and shame. Whatever the burden is. Some might be unsaved relatives, friends. Broken homes. Some might be concerned about the condition of a church. Whatever the case is. He's saying, not adding burdens. My goal is to relieve burdens. And he gives us here the very conditions of this. 
and verse, chapter 6, verse 1, ye which are spiritual. So the goal of a more spiritual believer is to help relieve burdens, not add burdens. Think about Simon the Cyrenian. He's the one that carried the cross with whom it was kind of, if you want to think about, deputized to carry Christ's cross to Calvary. Here is Jesus all beaten and bloodied, and he has to carry the shame of a cross up to Calvary. Potentially, you know, the stigma attached with this, and here he is carrying another man's cross. Heavy, long, hot day. Hearing the sobs of the women cry as they would see their beloved Savior in such, a deplor- in such a horrible condition, physical, physically just awful, so marred that you couldn't even recognize him. Not only that, he hears the howls. He hears the mocking of the people as he walks that road to Calvary as they are yelling and screaming at Jesus Christ. He hears all of that. Here's the kicker. Jesus gets to Calvary. Nearing his last breath, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is saying, listen, I want to relieve burdens. Perhaps you think about even Simon reading Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and, but Jesus, even in the dying moment, still wanted to relieve those burdens. It is said that he would become a believer, a Christian, an elder of a pastor of a church there in Antioch, and the father of two boys, whom the Apostle Paul much appreciated. And uh, Mark 15, Acts 13, and Romans 16, 13. But never getting tired of people telling him that he bore the cross to Calvary for his Savior. You know what? When I'm doing acts for another person... And I'm doing kindness to them, Matthew 25, 40, which is within the confines of the tribulation period, but nevertheless, the principle still applies. Matthew 25, 40, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. When I'm doing service to others, I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for Christ. I'm serving Christ by serving others. Because that's what Jesus gave his life to do. To relieve the burden to get them into the relationship to be reconciled with the only almighty God. A love walks softly. Look with me at verse 3 of Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So Paul continues his practical advice here. and First of all, he thinks about marking your own boundaries, limitations, You know, secular and sacred history is, uh, I mean, it's just full of stories of lives that have been shipwrecked. I mean, just wrecked people. Maybe they had inflated egos, exaggerated ideas of their own ideas, of their own importance, and they were murdered, killed. Think about the story of the Jewish judge Gideon. God had taken a man that didn't want to do the job. God finally called him, and he answered the call, and God used Gideon and, and used 300 men against an innumerable army of people. 
And Gideon would get full of himself so much so that they would, he would end up believing the accolades and all the praises that people heaped upon him and that they would appoint him to a, a position far above what he should have been. And he had a son Abimelech who imagined that he ought to be acclaimed king upon his father's death. Abimelech wanted to rule and reign over his people because of what God had done through his dad. He had an inflated ego <laughs> and a false, exaggerated idea of his own importance. He died when a woman cast part of a millstone at him and hit him on the head. Judges 9. A great David had a son named Absalom. If you've ever read the story of Absalom, Absalom was David's son. He, he ended up coming to the gate there at the king's palace and and the people would come in to talk with the king. He would talk with them. Well, you don't need to talk with my dad. I'll help you. And what he began to do is he began to talk to people. He stole the heart of the people away from the king unto himself. He tried to take the kingdom from his dad. And it cost him his life. Solomon's son and heir, Rehoboam, had an inflated ego. For if a man think himself to be nothing... You know what? Anything that we do in our life and any great thing that happens in our life is not of me. It's all of God. So if you want to heap praises, start praising God. God gave the ability. God worked through Gideon. 300 people defeated thousands upon thousands upon thousands of enemies. It's not how great is Gideon, because that's an impossible odds. He started with 32,000. But God said, no, too much, too many. So he said, "Take go home, whoever doesn't want to be here. So a lot left. Then they began to, to whittle down and whittle down, and then they began to do the drinking thing. Those who were still aware and on their knee and, and kind of looking out, that's whom God chose, 300 men. We can think we are something that God needs us because I'm God's gift. I'm not God's gift. If the moment I get to that place where I'm God's gift, I've no longer become useful to God because I'm not a tool in God's hand. Because now I'm putting the onus on my own importance and my own abilities as opposed to God who gave me those abilities. We had on, what was it, Tuesday? We had a water leak downstairs. And I was using some tools. You know what, those tools, there was nothing, those tools could not fix the problem if they just sat on the shelf of their own ability. They have no ability of those tools to fix the leaking pipe. They would still be sitting there, and the pipe would still be leaking. Now, in the, in the hands of a, I wouldn't say skilled, but in the hands of an individual who used those tools we eventually got the problem solved after some trial and error. Now, God doesn't need trial and error. He knows how to use you with the abilities that you have as the particular tool to get you to do great things. Now, if that pipe, that pipe wrench or whatever begins to say, wow, look at me, I fixed a wonderful, I mean, it, wow, I'm the greatest thing. Someone said, pipe wrench, you'd still be sitting on the shelf of no use. We think we're self-something. Every man, you know, 
And for if man think himself to be something. There is in modern psychology the phrase, the Peter principle. The Peter principle has really become a cliche almost. It refers to the mistake of promoting a man beyond the level of his competence in some field. A man can be a first-class salesman, but that doesn't mean he'll be a successful sales manager. Many businesses make the mistake of making a man uh, a company director or chairman of the board just because maybe their dad was a founder of the company. That son may not have the same vision and intuition as his dad did. In Christian circles, sometimes pastors will hand, hand the church off to their son who may not be walking with the Lord like the dad did. Or promoting someone before they should be promoted and creating great problems. A man thinks he's something. And many a church has fallen and failed to continue its legacy because a man thinks he's something. This is when he is nothing. Because the only ability that I have only comes through the grace of God. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 1.29. I mean, you would think about the Apostle Paul. Here's a man that was a fierce persecutor of Christians. And God gloriously saves him. You don't find the Apostle Paul saying, wow, you know, look at me. He said, of all the apostles, I'm the least. It's God. He tells us, by the grace of God and and by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know, in verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. How did God use a bunch of rough, squirrely, fighting fishermen a tax collector and some others, disciples, that are so radically impacting the world still to this day. That no flesh should glory in His, God's presence. I have no ability in God's presence to glory. It has no, it's not all about Chris and Chris's ability because the abilities that I have, God's given to me. And the moment I think they're my abilities, I'm stealing God's glory, and God's saying, I'm not a part of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, turn with me there. Even if a person does have some abilities, I mean, it's not the abilities that I have are from God, and if I'm executing these abilities, and I do so in a wrong attitude, again it's wrong. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, profit me nothing. 
if you're doing it without a love for God, you can die a martyr's death for your own personal praises. I don't know why you would, but you can. I mean, you think about today uh, and the idea of the whole Gaza conflict. People are literally going in trying to kill Israelis because they think when they get, if they get killed in doing so, that they're going to get martyrdom before some divine deity that is not the God of the Bible. Muslim God is not the same as the God of the Bible. I guarantee that. Totally different. I would say it's Satan. But, God's desire, for the, if, I mean, if I think I'm something, let's look at another passage, 2 Corinthians 12, 11. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. So love has, I mean, this love has boundaries, and I'm marking boundaries in my own life. The Apostle Paul was incredibly well-educated, very well-educated, brilliant, master scholar of the law. Master, I mean, he knew it. And then verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I am become a fool in glory. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So Paul is saying, listen, if God doesn't want to use me, I'm done. And you know what God will do with you? If you come back to Galatians 6, for if a man think himself to be something, that tool will be put on the shelf and no longer used of God. Because you think as a tool, you're better than the other tools in the tool chest. Are there some tools that somebody might use more than others? Of course, of course. But every tool has its purpose. Every believer has a purpose. You have been made for a specific reason, and God wants to use you. But the moment you begin to glory in your own abilities or what God has done in your life, God's going to say, okay, I'm going to put you on the shelf. We find another thing, we should mark our boundaries. And the idea here in verse 4, but let every man prove his own work. I'm not doing what I do in the Christian life to please you. Do we like people to be pleased with what we're doing? Of course. But I should, we can get addicted to what people think about us. Oh my, you're the God's gift to men or women, whatever, I don't care. No, no, I'm not. I'm not, every, let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You know what, the only person that I need to, I mean, I'm concerned that I'm right with God. I'm helping to bear another's burdens. When I'm not concerned with all of my abilities and how I look, you know what, someone might be advancing faster than me. Someone else might be doing things in a way that I'm like, wow, I wish I could do that. But you know what, and then we can get, oh, God can't use me. I'm not as good as so-and-so. You're looking at someone else. God says, listen, you're the tool that I want at this time, and I want to use you in just the way. And you can't bear another's burden if you're concerned with how people think about you. 
You've put yourself on that shelf. Not to be used. Each of us are answerable to the Lord. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No one can be as good at, as you at being you and the tools that God's made you for you to do. No one else can steal the position that God has for you to do. No one else can fit that slot. You are made for a particular purpose and no one can take that position. No one can fulfill it. Every one of you have an incredible purpose before God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Listen, whatever you're doing, it's going to be tried. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is my fire. The, the idea here is, if you're doing work, sure you can do it in God's name. But if it's not in God's name and according to God's plans, then your work will burn up as fire. It's not going to have an eternal ability to withstand the fires of God. God's going to try it. God's going to purify it. God's going to look at it, inspect it. All the works that you're doing, if you're doing it for yourself in God's name, doesn't matter. If, I mean, I don't care what you want to say. If you want to, just like the Pharisees, they'd say, wow, this is of God. But it wasn't for God because they didn't have a relationship with God. You can put God's name on it, but it doesn't mean it's of God if it's not according to God's will and God's plans and purposes and direction. Look at me at Romans 14. There are some things I know for all of us, God's will. Number one, be saved. Number two, be baptized, join a church, get faithful to serve in the Lord. That's God's will for everyone. Specific will, who you should marry, where you should work, where you should live. Those are all specifics. God knows. God knows who you need. Romans 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set and not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You're going to have to give an account of, your, of the Lord. And if I'm so considerate of others and continuing to look, and I forget to look at my own actions, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, oh, so-and-so, John did this, and Jake did this, and blah, 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 right down the line. And you're living in this state of hypocrisy and envying. and I mean, you're just always evaluating a critical spirit of others. What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my thoughts, my thinking, and my actions for the Lord? What am I doing? When you stand before God, you're not going to have the opportunity or the ability to say, well, I did this because. God's going to know, all, he is going to have all the evidence and you're not going to be able to get out of it because 
so-and-so did such many years ago and they hurt you. You can't get out of it that way. You have to give an account of your life before God. Now, as a believer, this giving account is not to lose your salvation, but God's saying, I gave you time. I've given you talents. I've given you finances. I've given you uh, friends and other relationships that I've put into your life. What have you done with those? You have to answer to God. So in this whole idea here of Galatians, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let every man prove his own work. We need to be continually say, God, show me any sin in my life. I need to be open and, and, and right before the Lord. God, please, God, please show me any sin. I want to be right with you. Because someday, I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to have to answer there are two extremes. One is an exaggerated idea of one's own importance. The other is to have an inferiority complex, constantly depreciating one's gifts. Oh, you know, one's like, you know, the guy that's like all proud and arrogant. The other one's like Eeyore. Oh, me. You know, that's kind of the, 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 the extremes here. And the classic example of this is Moses. At 40 years of age, he was a Hebrew at heart. But look with me at Hebrews eleven twenty four. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Then enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect into the recompense of the reward. Now remember that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace under Pharaoh's daughter. Incredible educational background, personal ability, good looks, extremely uh, good opinion of himself, his importance, his influence, and his ability to do the Lord's work. I came out of Egypt. I am God's man. And he thinks in this passage of Scripture, as we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 2, we'll turn there next. Moses thinks single-handedly, we'll get all of, all of Israel by my abilities, by my might. Man, we're going to, God's going to do a great work through me. I'm going to lead Israel out of Egypt, because I'm Pharaoh's son. Unfortunately, God took him back to the backside of the desert for 40 years. Exodus chapter 2. You know what? God has a way of humbling us. And it is painful. It's painful when God gets a hold of us and we think that we're some great thing for God. Instead of Moses becoming a missionary and getting Egypt and get Israel out of Egypt and being the leader over Israel, he became a murderer, Exodus chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away, this is when he was little, and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son, and she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. So Moses, he sees the fellow Hebrews, he says, man, people are treating him like trash. I'm going to correct this. I'm going to make it right. 
I'll take judgment in my own hands. So when he and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and lay, hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou, smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Moses, I mean, he's like, I'm turning my back on Egypt. I'm going to kill one of the Egyptians because he's hurting one of my people. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to get this Egyptian. I'm going to show him to the Hebrew people that I'm one of them. I'm not like that, though I grew up there. But he did it without God's blessing. He did it outside of God's will. He went from being a missionary to a murderer. And he acted in the flesh. And he had a rude awakening. For the next 40 years, he would be on the backside of the desert, unlearning much of what he had learned as a young prince in Pharaoh's court. Wandered on the shepherd on the backside of the wilderness 40 years. Then he went too far in the opposite direction, and God called him. In Exodus chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 13, God calls unto him. And, you know, he goes so far on the backside of the desert, he, I mean, he even totally forgets about God. When God calls him out of the bush, you know, he's like, who are you? I don't even know your name. Just swinging, boom, back and forth. But by the end of his life, he comes to a realistic assessment of his life and ministry. And before his great song and final blessing, he'd reveal a fact. He handed his life work over to others as he was about ready to depart and gave all the law in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, 26. Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be, that it may be there for a witness against thee. You know, he realized the long-lasting effect he had made on the people whom he had served loyally for so long. He knew also their personalities. He knew their rebellion, their stiff neck, their inability. I mean, Moses leading thousands of people, it said upwards of maybe two million people or more. He knew that they just are rebellious. They don't want to listen. And that self-inflated importance would end up leaving him with a great blight for 40 years. It was 80 years old when God would finally say, okay, Moses, now I can use you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be waiting on the shelf till I'm 80. I want to be used of God now. You can think about Peter, the opposite extreme of depreciating his gift. Oh, I can't do anything. I mean, you go from Peter boasting, I love you, and, I'm, you know, and he cuts the ear off, and then he's like, you know what? <laughs> I can't do anything. I'm useless. I'll never deny the, you know, I'll never deny you. And then Jesus, after the resurrection, in John chapter 21, as I preached here a couple weeks ago, about feed my sheep. He just, you know, he's like, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll go fishing. I guess God can't use me. I've denied my Lord. 
You know what Jesus did, though? He bore another person's burdens to get them back to being useful for the Lord. Peter, I'm about ready to leave. I'm out of here. And Peter, I have a church. Peter, I want you to take care of my people. This is the church I bought with my own blood. Peter, follow me. There was others like King Uzziah who had an inflated idea of his own importance and he would go in and offer incense there in the temple and God would give him leprosy. There was another man, Barzillai, many excuses for not going to Jerusalem to be one of David's counselors. You know what, in many, many different scenarios, as we look at this, I'm almost done with my notes here so I'll finish it up this evening, but Verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Yes, I have to answer to God at the end of the day for my burdens. Yes, I have to answer for a way I've lived my life. Yes, Moses had to live with the consequences of killing that Egyptian for 40 years on the backside of the desert. Yes, there's consequences to sin. But the goal is, yes, there's sin. Yes, there's consequences. But to lift that burden, say, hey, let's get back in the fight. Let's get back up and be useful for the Lord. You know what, we need the balance, and what I need to do, as is, is we've talked about, is walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which we've talked about, verses 22 uh, through 24, 22 and 23, excuse me. But we, we must walk above, I'm not, if I'm only doing it to receive praises from those to whom I'm speaking, then I will be very short-sighted, and I will only preach a limited subject matter. Some burdens can't be shared. There's some things that you can share, that, some things that you can share, and there's some things you can't share. There's a weight sometimes that bears on you, and there's been times in my life I'm like, Lord, there's no one I know to talk to. And he's like, can you just bring it to me? You know, in those moments, no one really understands necessarily what you're going through. When you take those burdens of the Lord, which he tells us to, Matthew chapter 11. But there are some things that you have to bear with respect to what God calls you to do. As a pastor, there's particular burdens and things that, that weigh upon my heart. But God knows I can carry it. Because he carries it with me. He's there with me. And God knows you can carry things that maybe I couldn't because he's helping you to carry it. Because only you can do that job. And that burden is light because of Matthew 11.30. Turn with me there. The Bible tells us in Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, it says bear you one another's burdens. I'm there to help encourage. I'm help to get back up and I'm there to help encourage and strengthen and assist. But I can't make you do right. I can't make you think right. 
I can walk with you when you're discouraged and say, hey, here's what the Bible says. And I can encourage and listen. And you know what? It's, it's, it's good to listen. But I can't get you close to God. You have to do that yourself. When you're bearing certain struggles in your life and maybe there's a besetting sin, you're the one that's going to have to make a decision. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't like my sin. I'm done with it. Each of us are responsible for the Lord. We'll have to give an account someday for the way we've lived. God doesn't compare your efforts with my efforts. Well, okay, your efforts are better than mine, so I'm going to approve of you more than I approve of Chris. There's no bearing. God doesn't have that. The only comparison that God has is, Chris, did you do what I've called you to do? Yourself, did you do what I've called you to do? No captain would want to share, you know, if you have a, if you have a job to do, you've got to carry that load. If you're a truck driver and you've got a large load, you've got to carry that load. As long as you can. For whatever that ticket there says, that bill of lading or whatever you have, you've got to carry that load as far as you're supposed to. And when you get to the destination with that load, there's payment. Right? There's some payment of some sort. So whether it's you or your boss gets it or the company gets it, but you're going to get paid for doing that job. It is your responsibility to carry that load. And God's desire for our lives, don't think yourself something. It's all Christ. Yes, we help bear another's burdens. Yes, fulfill the law of Christ. Yes, to love. But I've got to do the work. Every man shall bear his own burden. We'll talk further next week about verse 6 and following, but love that walks softly. You have boundaries. You have things that say, listen, you can't carry the load that I can carry, and I can't carry the load that you can carry. Because each of you can only carry the load that God has designated for you. And if God gives you that load, he knows you're strong enough to carry it. And as you walk with the Lord, you know what? Jesus lightens the load. I find so many times when the load is so heavy, and I'm like, God, I can't go on anymore. He's saying, I didn't mean for you to do it. I wanted you to get in, <laughs> get in step with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, listen, let me help carry it. Ah, now I can carry the load. And the same way for yourself. And you're like, this is too heavy. You're trying with your own means, thinking that you're something. To say, listen, Lord, I need your help. Ah, now I can carry the load. And when every one of us get that idea, listen, I can't carry the load, I can't do the ministry, I can't do what I've been called to do in the flesh of my own personal abilities. It's all of God. And when I just get to the, I just get to the simple understanding, it's all of God you know what? We will be walking in the Spirit and we'll be productive and we will be helping, able to bear one another's burdens, encourage, lifting others up. I trust the message this evening as you think about this. Listen, are you on the shelf because you're still trying to do it yourself? You're still trying to do the Christian life in your own strength. Or you just say, God, you help me, 
I'll be the tool, you use me however you want, and I'll do it. Just as that wrench, as I was tightening that, that particular fixture, it was doing a work, I was putting the pressure. God was doing the work. He's doing the work in your life, and he's doing a work in my life. But until you're willing to be used, and stop thinking you're the use, the one using that tool, you'll be on the shelf. As you think on these truths tonight, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward if possible. I can do an invitation this evening. and I don't know what you're carrying or what you're going through. Number one, if, if you are having a heavy burden, you know what it says? Bear one another's burdens. It's okay to ask. Say, hey, I just need to pray. I need to talk. But at the same time, also, maybe there's a burden you're bearing and, and you're saying, I don't know what to do. And you've talked and and you're saying, man, it's heavy. God might be saying, listen, you haven't let me get in the yoke with you. You haven't let me get in the plow. And we'll do it together. And then you'll be used of God in a great way. As the music plays this evening, I trust that you would just allow the Lord to speak to your heart, however his spirit may have spoken to you this evening. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the time of prayer and reflection and thinking what God has spoken to you tonight. It's not an accident you're here this evening. God wants to use you, but you got to be willing to be used. The first thing to being of use is to know Jesus as your Savior. And you must ask Him to forgive you of all your sins because you realize you've wronged Him. Lord, forgive me. I'm trusting in you alone to be my Savior. If you're watching tonight and you're not saved, please come to Christ. And Christian, i got to stop thinking I'm something and just be a willing vessel to be used of God, humble and yielded and moldable for the Father's use. As the music will come to a close here shortly, there's no better way, no more successful and fulfilling life than just being willing to be used of the Lord in the Lord's yoke and watch what great things God will do through you and let him get all the glory. Our dear heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I just yield this evening to thee and Lord, I thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you for the message encouraged and challenged me and father i i just pray that you would really help us to evaluate our lives and lord those moments that we think that god can use us for certain abilities that we have and not realizing those abilities are all a gift of you and lord we just need to take all that we have and put it into your hands and allow you to use it as you see fit the job will get done far greater than we could ever think it could be done. Lord, I yield this evening to thee. I thank you for being our precious and loving Savior. God, I love you so much. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. As we have a time of...